Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. My name is David Intracasso. Today's topic, the one that currently dominates Washington, D.C. policy conversation, is, of course, the fiscal cliff and what to do about it. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Robert Reichauer, and it is my privilege. Dr. Reichauer is an economist and one of the two public trustees of the Social Security Medicare Trust Fund. He is a nationally known expert on the federal budget, health reform, Medicare, and Social Security. Up until this past year, uh, Dr. Reichauer was president of the Urban Institute, a nonpartisan social and economic policy research institute. He also served as the director of the Congressional Budget Office, and he also, too, subsequent to his CBO um, position, was a MedPAC or Medicare Payment Advisory Commissioner uh, for most of the 2000s or from 2000 to 2009. Most of that time he spent as its vice chair. So with that as an introduction, thank you, Dr. Reichar, for participating this morning. It's well, a privilege. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start with the basics. What do we mean by the fiscal cliff, sometimes termed the slope, alternatively termed the austerity crisis, or how would you define what our current fiscal health or budgetary circumstances are? Well, the fiscal cliff is really a series of increases in taxes or reductions in spending that will go into effect if current law isn't changed uh, starting uh, in 2013. Uh, altogether, uh, these measures would uh, be a very significant economic contraction of a little over 4% of GDP, which uh, would adversely affect uh, economic growth. And so there's a desire to dampen that impact uh, or uh, move more slowly. Okay. Um, and this is per your comment about dampening the economic impact. This is what CBO said, that if all the cuts uh, went in, we'd look at unemployment rising from 79 to 9.1%. So that would be something we'd want to avoid. And we'd have uh, a recession. Uh, but uh, that would assume that uh, all of these tax increases and uh, spending reductions are permanent, that they go into effect forever. That's a lot different from saying uh, Congress might wrangle and argue mm -hmm. uh, for two or three months before uh, some adjustments are made to uh, reduce the impact of these tax increases and spending cuts. And some of these can be done in the spring and then retroactively for the entire calendar year Correct. and beyond. Correct. Correct. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, the fiscal cliff is also worrisome because relative to our deficit spending, our debt is growing faster than our GDP. Is that sort of the underlying problem we're facing? Um, there's a long-term problem and a short-term problem. Okay. And the short-term problem is the economy uh, is weak and it's not growing uh, rapidly uh, and absorbing the uh, new entrance to the labor force, let alone uh, those who uh, find themselves unemployed uh, at this time. Over the longer run, we have a more serious problem, which is that uh, deficits are growing faster uh, than uh, GDP, the debt-to-GDP ratio is rising. Uh, that's an unsustainable situation. We have to bring uh, spending and revenues uh, into closer balance. We don't need to balance the budget. 
uh, all we have to uh, do is assure that uh, the growth of our debt uh, doesn't exceed the growth of our economy. And if we do that over time, the debt-to-GDP ratio gradually falls. Uh, that was the history of uh, the U.S. budget after World War II. Uh, when we came out of World War II, we had a debt-to-GDP ratio of something in the order of 110 percent of uh, GDP. And uh, between uh, 1946 and uh, the early 1970s, uh, that ratio declined to about 24 percent. And it did it not because we ran surpluses, but because we ran very small deficits uh, and uh, the economy grew rapidly. Okay. Thank you. Let's move on to uh, the real rub here, which is who wants what. Okay, we know the president has come out um, recently and asked for $1.6 trillion in revenue. And that's approximately twice what was somewhat agreed upon last summer between he and the speaker at about $800 billion. So the question becomes, really in sum, what's the total, let's start with the total pie. Um, how big of both revenue and savings are we looking at? How much money? Well, looked at over a 10-year period. Correct, it's in uh, the 10-year period. There is the desire uh, to uh, generate savings, either through higher revenues or uh, lower spending, spending of somewhere around $4 trillion. That's probably more than we need to achieve uh, this objective of stabilizing the debt-to-GDP ratio and then having it fall, uh, because we have done certain things since uh, the Bowl simpson uh, Commission did its report. Two years uh, ago. Two years ago. We uh, have uh, enacted uh, reductions in uh, discretionary spending back in the spring of 2011 when uh, there was a little kerfuffle over, uh, uh, over the uh, budget for the year which hadn't been passed uh, mm -hmm. well into the fiscal year. And then in August of uh, 2011 uh, we uh, had an agreement. Uh, one part of it uh, was to place caps on discretionary spending uh, for the next uh, uh, 10 years, nine years actually, uh, and uh, those were assumed to take place. There's then, of course, the other uh, component, which uh, is the automatic cuts uh, that uh, are part of the fiscal cliff that would uh, begin to go into effect in uh, January of 2013. So the the Reference to last August is the Budget Control Act. Right. That's the $1.2 trillion over the nine-year period, which begins um, in January or next month. Or next month. Next Correct. Month. So let's move on then to what will the Congress, uh, in your estimation, we're, we're approximately, actually we're exactly three weeks and one day from when they say they're trying to finish this, Negotiation that would be December twenty-first. So, what, in your mind, is it is possible for the Congress to achieve over the next three weeks as it relates to remediating the cliff? Uh, my guess is that over the next three weeks, uh, we will be fortunate if we can agree 
to reach an agreement sometime in early 2013 to uh, agree on major steps to reduce the budget over uh, 10 years. Uh, in addition, uh, one hopes that some of the more immediate uh, issues will be addressed. And uh, here I will list a couple. Uh, one is extended unemployment benefits uh, will expire at the end of uh, 2012. And uh, a lot of individuals who are in, uh, who are unemployed or in states with high uh, unemployment rates will see their benefits uh, disappear. Uh, that's number one. Number two, uh, there is something called the alternative minimum tax, uh, which uh, is really a parallel tax system, uh, and after you fill out your regular tax, turbo tax or whatever you use, then calculates uh, a uh, alternative to ensure that uh, people with relatively high incomes uh, don't uh, take excessive advantage of the various um, provisions of the tax code to uh, pay very, very low taxes. Uh, last year, uh, about four million people or filing units were subjected to this. Uh, each year we have adjusted it for inflation, but not changed the underlying law. So the alternative minimum tax fix uh, basically expired uh, starting in 2012, but it doesn't make any difference to anybody until they file their income taxes. In 2013. In 2013 for 2012. Uh, if we don't uh, enact a patch uh, for this to adjust it for inflation, something over 30 million filing units will be affected. Uh, they'll be largely uh, families uh, living in high state tax states. Mm -hmm. New York, California, New Jersey, Massachusetts. Uh, these are individuals who have no idea what the alternative minimum tax is. Until that issue is resolved, uh, a very substantial for portion of American taxpayers won't be able to file their taxes. Uh, or if they file them, the IRS won't be able to process them. Uh, the IRS is preliminarily uh, assumed that this patch will uh, be continued, and uh, the sooner we make that decision, which I think is uh, a foregone decision, uh, the uh, smoother this whole uh, tax season will go. Third component here, of course, is the uh, uh, physician fee uh, schedule in Medicare, which under current law will be reduced by 27.4% starting January 1st. Clearly, we're not going to uh, pull that trigger and let that happen. But uh, every year, uh, Congress has been coming in and saying, well, we won't uh, impose this discipline. We will substitute for it uh, a freeze or a very small increase. Uh, <clears throat> it doesn't, uh, Congress doesn't always do this in a timely fashion. And sometimes it hasn't made this decision until February or later, uh, in which case uh, the uh, CMS 
has to uh, withhold payments or make payments under a reduced fee schedule and then make up these payments. And when they have to make these adjustments, it costs tens of millions of dollars uh, to go back and uh, mm -hmm. fix uh, what you've already done. So at a minimum, I would hope that those three uh, components were decided before. Uh, but there will be uh, also, as I said, an effort to uh, agree on, in a sense, a, um, a dance card for the future. You know, how are we going to resolve these bigger issues, This uh, the um, expiration of the tax cuts, uh, uh, maybe the sequestration. Uh, we're scheduled to have uh, uh, between 8 and 9 percent reduction in uh, spending authority for discretionary programs uh, in defense and in uh, the non-defense area. Uh, and, uh, you know, everybody would like to uh, substitute a more sensible uh, way of saving money than an across-the-board cut of equal percentage uh, in each of these two large areas of spending, which would be uh, very disruptive. Uh, what we have to uh, sort of uh, admit is that this isn't like falling off a cliff that uh, January 1st or January 2nd we're mm -hmm. going to find ourselves uh, like Wiley Coyote, <laughs> you know, uh, looking down and suddenly careening <laughs> into the canyon uh, because uh, spending is really, by agencies, is really determined by uh, allocations that OMB gives out quarterly or monthly, and uh, OMB could decide that this is going to be fixed some way so we won't immediately reduce the allocations that are given to the various agencies and the various uh, uh, programs right away. Similarly, on the tax side, uh, the um, withholding tables are uh, promulgated by the Secretary of Treasury and IRS. And uh, they don't have to change them uh, on uh, January 2nd. There's no legal requirement. That, and they could decide that the president's proposal for taxes, in other words, extend all the uh, taxes for uh, middle and lower income people and uh, just increase taxes for those with incomes over $250,000, uh, will be the law of the land, and they will promulgate uh, withholding tables that reflect that. Uh, so this wouldn't affect, in a sense, the uh, tax burden that the vast majority of American workers get and are reflected in their paychecks. Okay, thank you. So just uh, as a review, the AMT, again, needs to be indexed to inflation. That's estimated at $114 billion. The DOCS, or the Sustainable Growth Rate, a one-year fix is estimated now by CBO 25. UI, or unemployment insurance, is estimated at 30. Let me ask you about what rides along with UI has been the payroll tax cut from 6.2 to 4.2. Do you see that getting uh, a continued or extended along with UI? Um, I think uh, there's a very good chance that uh, that will not be extended. Uh, or if it is extended, it will be scaled back. So it's, let's say, a one percentage point reduction in the uh, payroll tax rather than a two percentage point reduction. And so we wean ourselves off of this. We phase 
uh, it down in a sensible way that reflects uh, the, uh, I think, bipartisan agreement that uh, Social Security should be financed by uh, payroll taxes and not by general revenues. Right now, uh, for the last two years, what has happened is we have had a two percentage point reduction in the uh, payroll tax that employees pay, but uh, as part of that law, uh, the uh, Social Security Trust Fund has been uh, plussed up with general re revenues uh, equal to the amount of foregone payroll tax. Uh, and uh, if we were to continue that for a long period of time, uh, the sort of notion of Social Security being a contributory uh, pension plan, in a sense, uh, where workers put money in, uh, no general revenues go into this program, and workers receive benefits as a result, would be undermined. Okay, okay. Let me uh, drill down on uh, two or three. I'll get back to Social Security. Um, let me get back to the so-called Bush-era tax cuts. The president has called for sunsetting those for family incomes over 250000 a year um, and extending those for incomes below. The Republicans, led by, again, Speaker Boehner, uh, haven't agreed to that. Their alternative is, is to limit deductions, and candidate Romney had a plan to limit deductions for certain earners at $17,000. There are variations on that. Let's talk specifically about how does that hash out or how does that game out? Again, the Bush shared tax cuts. Can the Republicans come around and allow? Now, remember, the president has a Trump card here because they expire one way or another. But how do you see that playing out? Um, I think the president has a pretty strong hand uh, at this point uh, because he can let these all the tax cu uh, cuts expire uh, and then introduce his legislation, which is let's give a tax cut relative to the higher taxes that would result well, in Well, we refer to, yes, yes. Uh, to everyone except the top 2% of the income distribution and say to the Republicans, are you going to deny 98% of Americans uh, a tax cut? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think uh, that it's very difficult uh, to design uh, a system where rates stay the same for upper income people, but their tax burden rises because uh, their deductions are reduced. Uh, you, um, you know, gain the opposition of all of the interest groups that uh, defend and, uh, and argue for these deductions. Principally the home industry, right. Yes. Charitable contributions, uh, uh, real estate, mm -hmm. uh, you know, health care. Uh, you go down the list, uh, pension uh, contributions. Uh, those are where the big money is. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're very popular, uh, and there are big industries behind them. Uh, so it's hard to do, and it's also very hard to do and not affect some people who are under $250,000 incomes uh, who happen to have very high uh, uh, use of, of some of these uh, uh, preferences. Uh, so my guess is that there's going to be some kind of agreement 
that rates will go up for the wealthy somewhat, not as much as the president wants. I mean, not 39.6. Th- not 39.6. Mm-hmm. Plus, uh, there will be an agreement that by a date certain, uh, there is uh, a tax reform proposal uh, that is worked out by the Congress and the President. Uh, and so, in a sense, we will be kicking the tough decision down the road. But at the same time, uh, there will be pressure that there be some kind of entitlement reform. Uh, and that's equally hard to do and, uh, you know, will bring out all the disagreements that underline the, the approaches of the mm-hmm. two parties. Uh, and that also will be uh, a decision that uh, will be kicked down the road for six months, nine months. Even if we wanted to do tax reform and uh, entitlement reform, there's no way that that could be done in the next two or three months. It is so com- These things are so complicated uh, to do. And while there's been a lot of work uh, going on in the administration and in uh, Capitol Hill and in outside groups, uh, we're nowhere near uh, the point where we could begin finalizing uh, decisions uh, on that and figuring out what their long-run implications are for uh, both programmatic uh, missions that we uh, support uh, and uh, their impacts on the budget. Okay. Let's go then next to sequestration and specifically, so that's $109 billion split between defense and other domestic discretionary for 2013. It's 1.2 over the nine-year period, as you noted, in savings. There is a general view that lame duck will accomplish turning off sequestration, maybe just for a six-month window in 2013, maybe for the entire year, but still just for a window to do more substantive work. Nobody likes, uh, you mentioned the 8 or 9% cuts to other domestic discretionary. For example, National Institutes of Health would be looking at a substantial cut in funding. So is it your view as well that somehow sequestration gets turned off? But in context of sequestration, let's also move to Medicare and Medicaid. So again... Okay, so uh, sequestration is supposed to go into effect January 2nd. Uh, with these across-the-board cuts. As I pointed out, OMB has the administrative flexibility to, uh, in a sense, delay their impact. And my guess is uh, if the Congress can't uh, get its act together on this, uh, you know, the OMB will uh, provide some breathing room uh, here. Uh, The sort of formulation of these cuts was uh, really not very sensible because what they did was provide uh, equal dollar cuts for each of the next nine years. So as a percent of what spending was anticipated to be, it's a much bigger cut in 2013 than it is in the subsequent 18 eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I can see them rebalancing uh the sequestration as a uh, triggering device. Uh, So it started out relatively modestly in the first year and uh, grew gradually over time. But of course, uh, it's it's not a very sensible way to go about uh, reducing spending. I mean, you're cutting 
low priority programs uh, the same fraction as high priority programs. Uh, you're, and that uh, was the trigger they were supposed to avoid. Uh, yeah, right. but it, it 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 was supposed to be so. Uh, onerous and terrible that uh, Congress would never do it. Mm -hmm. But those of us who've been around uh, uh, the Congress for many years realize that uh, uh, procrastination is even stronger <laughs> than, uh, you know, uh, uh, avoiding crazy policy. Uh, so that's where we are. Now, one part of this uh, sequestration discipline, of course, was that uh, Medicare uh, payments would be cut two percentage points across the board. Uh, and while I'm pretty sure that we will not have full implementation of sequestration anytime in fiscal year 2013, uh, I'm not at all sure that uh, as one of the pay-fors, ways of paying for the uh, uh, failure to follow the sustainable growth rate cuts of the physician fees, uh, the Congress might decide uh, to let some of the sequestration on Medicare uh, occur. occur. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, maybe 1%, maybe the full 2%. Uh, you know, so I think that uh, still has some legs. Let, let's, let's go to uh, stay with Medicare then. So they need some amount of $25 billion for one-year dog fix in some way, shape, or form to offset. But beyond lame duck, Medicare reform going into the next Congress, calendar year 2013, a lot of discussion about should we limit it to some provider cuts or, as the Republicans are calling for, more structural reforms. And, of course, the leading issue there was to whatever extent the president last year agreed to raising the Medicare eligibility age from 65 to 67. So, longer term, what's your, how do you crystal ball Medicare's future? Um, with the Affordable Care Act, we have taken uh, virtually every proposal for saving money that was on the shelf and uh, put it into law. Uh, a lot of these are demonstrations or pilots or experiments of one sort or mm -hmm. another. We don't know how they'll work. Uh, the cupboard isn't quite empty, uh, and the president put forward in uh, uh, September of 2011 another package of, uh, of uh, proposed cuts in the About healthcare area, both, billion, yes. both uh, Medicare and Medicaid, uh, and those are still live uh, proposals, and I would expect us uh, over the next few years to move forward with, with some of those. Um, you know, as for more fundamental reforms, uh, that's going to take a long time to reach uh, uh, fruition or some kind of consensus. Uh, you know, it's conceivable that uh, in a grand bargain, uh, there might be limits on uh, Medicaid uh, spending growth, sort of by categories of people. Uh, eligible for Medicaid, uh, the federal government could say we're going to uh, allow that uh, uh, budget for each state to rise by no more than GDP plus 1%, uh, something like that. Mm -hmm. That will be very difficult to implement because the states are all at different levels mm -hmm. uh, of this, but it's one sort of way to control cost that would be uh, 
viewed very positively, I think, by the uh, Republicans. Uh, with respect to the issue of uh, raising the age of uh, eligibility for Medicare, I think the more people look at this, uh, the more they realize the complexities that are involved and uh, how it doesn't save a huge amount of money and the money that is saved uh, from the federal budget is largely shifted on to others. And let me just say a few words about that. Uh, if uh, individuals uh, were not eligible for Medicare uh, at age 65, but instead at age 67, and this would happen gradually over 10 or 20 years, mm -hmm. I assume, uh, one good uh, aspect of that is more people would work longer to get their employer uh, sponsored health insurance and that would uh, save money uh, and uh, for, the, for the federal government uh, and uh, it would uh, uh, increase the economy. There'd be more people working, GDP would paying go up. Paying taxes, so et cetera. Paying taxes, right. so that's all worth an applause. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, the employer uh, sponsored insurance would be more expensive because they'd be covering more older, older people. people. Uh, those who were retired or had no uh, other health insurance uh, would either find themselves on Medicaid uh, through the expansions of the Affordable Care Act or buying uh, insurance through the exchange. Uh, if they were buying insurance through the exchange, it would be a more expensive uh, policy uh, than uh, Medicare was. Uh, the pool of individuals in in that uh, uh, those exchanges uh, would see their premiums rise uh, because the pool is older. Right uh, now, insurance companies are allowed to uh, charge up to three times uh, the amount uh, for an old person than for a uh, younger person, uh, but uh, most. Estimates say that old people are uh, five or six times more expensive, so uh, there would be uh, uh, a, cost shift. a cost shift onto everybody else. Mm -hmm. uh, and the subsidies that the federal government would be paying for the lower income elderly uh, would go up as well. And so, you know, sort of everything is connected to everything else, and you think you're saving money here, but you're really raising costs somewhere else. You can never do uh, one thing, and, yes. And, and uh, when you draw the line at the bottom, uh, you really aren't saving gobs of money mm -hmm. uh, here. It isn't uh, the same as it would be with Social Security, I think, which is uh, quite uh, a different situation. Let's, let's go to Social Security in a moment, but let me ask also maybe the last item on this long list of both uh, lame duck session issues and for 2013 moreover now for 2013 or February, and that is the debt ceiling. So once again, we're about to hit the debt ceiling, which is approximately $16.4 at the moment. And of course, Speaker Boehner said everything comes at a cost. When the President asked that, he wanted it included in the lame duck to get it out of the way for calendar 13. So comments on the debt ceiling. Well, uh, my first comment is we shouldn't have a debt ceiling. I mean, this is the most uh, absurd piece of legislation because uh, this requirement, uh, you know, 
is really uh, a limit after all the cows have left the barn, uh, you say they shouldn't have. Uh, We've already the, spent the, the money, the, right? Yes. Yeah, the, the, the debt or the deficit that we have is a result of all the spending decisions that are made in appropriations and entitlements mm -hmm. and all of the tax decisions that are made. And uh, when Congress votes on all of those, it's actually voting to uh, have a deficit and increase the amount of debt uh, or run a surplus and reduce the amount of debt. De facto, uh, yes. It's de facto, and right. there's nothing one can do about that. And also it uh, is... Uh, you know, absolutely suicidal to think that we would uh, default on our debt, so to speak. So, uh, you know, this is sort of a, uh, an artificial uh, effort to uh, create uh, pressure. Uh, what's interesting is it started out as a reform. Uh, it used to be that the Congress voted back uh, before World War I on uh, each issue of issuance of new debt. Uh, and uh, we go into World War One, and uh, you, you know you're spending more than you're taking in, and it would use a whole lot of Congress's time to keep voting on these individual debt issues. So they said, well, let's just have a ceiling, and we'll raise it by X amount, and then you can keep issuing new debt mm -hmm. when you want to. Uh, and so from being sort of a good governance reform, it's now turned completely <laughs> on it on its head. Uh, in any case. Uh, we will hit the debt ceiling probably towards the end of February. At that point, if most of these issues aren't resolved, the Republicans will suddenly uh, look at their cards and realize they have a couple of new aces uh, in, in their hand to play. Uh, and, uh, it, and the president uh, will be in the administration, the Democrats will be at a disadvantage at that point. Uh, one hopes that uh, we don't get into the kind of situation that we were in uh, in August of uh, 2011. Uh, it, uh, it's not good for domestic markets. It's not good for international markets to be uh, in that situation. Uh, it's clear that from our last, uh, you know, experience uh, that uh, the Republicans were viewed by. Uh, most Americans as uh, being irresponsible on this issue, and uh, I would hope that uh, as a result uh, they will uh, not use the new cards in their hands uh, to the extent that they tried to uh, a year ago. Okay, okay. Well, let's now then get to, um, let's let's pass over capital gains and dividends because that's also part of the whole Bush era right. tax cut issue. We'll leave that aside and park that. Social Security. Um, you did make a point about uh, we've sort of been cheating in the funding thereof with the 2% cut. Uh, it looks like that's going to be phased out at minimum or just abandoned after this year, and we'll go back to the 6.2%. Yeah, the Treasury has advocated uh, just letting that uh, tax holiday die. die. Uh, there are a number of members of Congress who would like to continue it at the level that it's at now, and others who uh, say we should phase it down. So. But but the question precisely then is, should SSI be, as they say, on the table? Senator Durbin has talked about this, amongst others, pro and con, about it being part of sort of debt or deficit reduction. What's your view? Um, 
I think we're going to have to address this issue at some point uh, in the not-too-distant future. Uh, I think uh, that it would be a highly contentious thing to try and integrate into uh, the 10-year package that we're talking about. Uh, you know, my advice uh, would be establish a bipartisan commission, uh, tell them to come back in uh, a year uh, with a proposal that would uh, make Social Security solvent through the next 75 years. Uh, it uh, is solvent uh, until 2033. Uh, at this point, it doesn't have uh, the uh, crisis element that uh, the um, Medicare uh, hospital insurance program has, which is, is dying in 2014, 20, uh, 2024. No, 20, 2024. 2024. Uh, we, the disability insurance program, which is a component of Social Security, uh, will run out of money in the next four years. Uh, but uh, when this has happened in the past, what we've done is reallocated the uh, tax revenue coming in to Social Security to put a little more in the disability trust fund and a little less in the uh, Old Age and Survivors Insurance Trust Fund. Okay. Okay. I think we're at our time boundary, I'm sorry to say, but let me just ask you one last question. It's more of a philosophical question, but I have to ask you to take this opportunity. Healthcare, relative to the polling on the ACA and the individual mandate, this question is related. In your view, here's the very simple, often asked question, is healthcare a right or a privilege? Um, I think basic health care is a right uh, for any advanced society, uh, but we have a very hard time in this country uh, defining or agreeing to a definition for basic health care. And uh, what we uh, have done is define it to its limit. Uh, whatever modern science can produce, uh, whatever uh, the medical profession can claim to have a positive impact, uh, that's part of basic health care, as opposed to uh, some more modest uh, uh, definition which might say uh, that uh, essential proven uh, interventions uh, that uh, are cost-effective uh, are what we consider basic health care. If you want more than that, uh, that's a private decision. Uh, and uh, we can look to mechanisms to uh, uh, share the cost of that private decision mm -hmm. as opposed to making it an individual's decision, uh, but it's not for society at large to subsidize. And that, of course, begs the rationing question, which, of course, right. we've run out of time and cannot discuss. So with that, I thank you very much, Dr. Reichow. It's been a privilege. Thank you You're again. You're welcome. Enjoyed it.